0: To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over. Those entrusted to you being examples of the flock. And when the, sh- the chief shepherd appears and you will receive the crown of glory, that will never fade away. Young men, in the same manner, be subsur- su- submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humbled yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that, you, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after he suffered in a little while, you will, will, you, sorry, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas whom I have regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly encouraging and testifying that this is the grace of the law of, of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you, with you sends her greetings and, as does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. May God add to us the blessing of his holy word. Friends, good morning. It's good to have you with
1: us. I should mention there's no youth church uh, today. We'll start that up again next Sunday. Um, But friends, welcome. If I haven't seen you yet, welcome. Uh, It's good to have you with us, particularly those of you who are visiting with us. Uh, We love having you with us as we share this time together. And we're going to spend some time considering those words that Jeff just read for us. So if you've got your Bible there, do keep them open. But I'm going to pray as we, as we kick off. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we can find you and we can find life. Lord, I pray that you would help us not just understand these words, but would you apply them by your spirit so that we may know you more, that we may trust you more, and that we, we may have greater assurance of what you have done for us and what we should expect of this life of following Christ. Lord, shape us and grow us by your word now, we pray for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm assuming that you heard this news story this week. Did did everyone hear about the Essendon AFL CEO saga? Hands up if you've heard about it. Okay, that's not everyone though. Uh, That's all right. Um, I'm assuming that there's some of you here who have followed it quite closely. Some of you who have, you know, heard something about it. Some of you didn't hear, that's okay. Uh, To catch you up, this week, Andrew Thorburn, that man there, uh, he lasted just one day in his dream job as CEO of his footy team when he was forced to resign. And it wasn't for anything that he did, it wasn't for anything that he said, but simply because he belonged to a church in which the pastor spoke out against abortion and taught that homosexuality is a sin. In the name of inclusion and tolerance, Thorburn was excluded and Christian teaching not tolerated. Now, there is lots to be said about this. Indeed, there's lots that has been said about this this week. If you've been in the news this week, you would have seen articles and you would have seen it on TV. Words from politicians, from the media, from religious leaders, from other Christians. I'm sure some of you have really strong thoughts and feelings about this story. I'm also sure that we wouldn't all have the same thoughts and feelings about this story. And so as you do discuss it, I assume you might, uh, do, do be humble with one another and actually listen to one another. We may have different perspectives here. But putting those differences aside, whatever you think about this story, I think it shows us why we need First Peter. Because for the past eight weeks, we've been working our way through this little letter. And in it, Peter talks a lot about Christians suffering for their faith. He's not just talking about the kind of difficulties of life. He's talking about persecution and suffering for being a follower of Jesus. It's in every single chapter of this letter. In every one of my last six sermons, I've I've mentioned persecution and suffering. In this letter, he talks about Christians being treated unfairly, about Christians being mocked and slandered and insulted, about Christians being punished for doing good. There's been a lot said in this letter about suffering, and none of you have said it to me, but I'm assuming that some of you have been thinking, why are we talking so much about this thing? Why all the doom and gloom? Can't we have something a little bit more uplifting? Friends, this is why we need to talk about suffering and persecution. Because it's coming. Right now it's small, it's isolated, it's infrequent. It happens to some high-profile people occasionally and usually the effects are not huge But it is gaining momentum and I don't think I'm being alarmist to suggest that following Jesus in this country is going to get harder. The time is coming when you, like Andrew Thorburn, might have to make a difficult choice between faithfully following Jesus and keeping your job. The time may come when you have to choose between friends and faith. When you have to choose between church and your safety. That time might still be a long way in the future. I'm not trying to be all doomsday It might not happen in your lifetime. But it may. And right now is the time to be preparing for it. So what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to stand firm in your faith? How are you going to live as the pressure on Bible-believing followers of Jesus builds and builds? What's it going to take to keep you going when the media shames you and your friends turn away from you and you're made to feel like you don't belong in this world? Well, God gave us First Peter to help us. And already Peter's shown us that we shouldn't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that we're about to experience. He's explained, he's he's reminded us that trials actually strengthen our faith in Christ. He's encouraged us to be ready to give an answer for this hope that we have. He's instructed us to repay evil with blessing and love. And he's done it all by reminding us that even in the worst of suffering... We are people who have hope, a certain hope, a hope that can never be lost, the hope of the resurrection and of life forever with God. But now we come to 1 Peter chapter 5, and in this last chapter of this little letter, Peter gives us one more resource, one more tool in our toolbox to help us stand firm when suffering comes. He tells us if we're going to keep following Jesus in the midst of persecution, we need humility. In verse 5, he tells us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And in verse 6, he tells us to humble ourselves under God. You see, Peter wants us to be humble and he seems to think that humility is... Really important in the context of suffering, but the question is why? What is it about humility that is going to help us in persecution? Well, I've got three reasons for you this morning. You can see them on your outline on the back of your handout if you grabbed one on the way in. But first up, humility keeps us together. Peter begins chapter 5 addressing elders not talking about old men, he's talking about church leaders. We've got three elders in our church, Colin, Martin, myself. We're not all elderly, only some of us. (laughs) But here Peter makes an appeal to these elders, and we'll come back to verse 1, but in verse 2 he appeals to them to be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And so here Peter's talking about elders, not as As managers of the church, or people with authority, or people who do the business of the church. No, he's talking about elders as carers and defenders of people, as shepherds, as those who have been entrusted with the care of something that is very precious to God, his people. I've just come back from a week of holidays while I was away. Janice and I entrusted the care of our little dog to Ross and Amy. We, we entrusted her to them because we trusted that they would do a good job at looking after her. And they did. We got little pup dates throughout the week. It was beautiful. But God has entrusted the care of his people to our elders. And his people are very precious to him. But did you notice in verse 1, as Peter makes this appeal... He does it as a fellow elder. Now, that doesn't seem too significant, but remember, Peter is an apostle. And he's not just any apostle. He's he's the rock. He is Jesus' right-hand man. But he speaks here to elders as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now, uh, in one sense, he's being humble, he's wanting them to be humble, and so he's being humble, he's coming to them as just another one of the elders. But he's also doing something else. He wants these elders to understand that they are called to the same kind of life as him. And just like he has shared in the sufferings and glory of Jesus, so will they. Peter wants elders who are ready to care for God's people in times of suffering, which means Peter wants elders who are ready to care for God's people by suffering. Do you see that? He wants people who take the hits for God's people. He wants elders who get roasted by Koshy on sunrise when a member of their church is being trashed in the media. That's what happened to Andrew Thorburn's pastor this week. He wants elders who share the emotional and financial burdens that come with the persecution of God's church. Marty and Colin, I'm not sure if that's what you signed up for. I hope it is, uh, because that is what your job is. It's my job too. That's why in verse 3, Peter says that elders should shepherd God's people. First, not because they must... If they're doing it out of compulsion, they won't do a good job, but because they are willing. Second, not pursuing dishonest gain, you're not doing it for the money, that's not a problem, we don't pay our elders, (laughs) you do pay me, but eager to serve. That should be the, the driving motivation of elders, willing to serve, eager to serve. And thirdly, he says they should be not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The picture here is of the shepherd who walks ahead of the sheep and the sheep follow in step. That we learn to suffer well as Christians in times of persecution because we're following after our elders who are doing it first. And it is the leaders who always cop it first, isn't it? Friends, if this is what it means to be an elder, can I ask that you pray for our elders? Because that's not a small thing. Pray that Colin and Marty and myself would actually have the humility to suffer for your good. Because I can't speak for them, but this doesn't come naturally to me. Pray for us. Keep praying for us. And I'm so grateful because I know some of you do pray for me and I know that you pray for the other elders too. Pray for them. Can you also pray something? Can you pray that God would raise up more men in this church to be elders and not figureheads, not office bearers, but shepherds who care for God's people, who love God's flock? We need more men in this church like that. Would you pray that God would provide them? If we're going to keep going in times of persecution, we're going to need humble leaders. But in verse 5, Peter turns to the rest of the church, those who are younger, which I take as everyone who's not an elder, and he says not only to be humble and submit to the elders, but then he says for everyone to be humble toward everyone. There's no kind of deciding how much authority the person before you has. No, just be humble before all of god's people all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another now humility is a choice isn't it we actually choose to put it on to clothe ourselves just like jesus when he wrapped a towel around his waist and started washing the feet of his disciples we need to clothe ourselves with that same humble attitude thinking about ourselves less, thinking about other people more. Because when the pressure comes, pride and self-service, it will drive us apart. And I I saw that this week, actually. I've been following that story of Andrew Thorburn pretty closely this week. Um, And one of the things that really saddened me to see was how some Christians reacted to Andrew Thorburn and to his church. I saw followers of Jesus, brothers in the faith, slamming Andrew Thorburn and slamming his church. Openly ridiculing a brother under pressure when they should have been offering their support. Now, there is room for us to disagree. There is room for us to, to wish that someone did something differently. But when we're ridiculing a brother in, in need, a brother in you know, under pressure, what is it that's making us do that? It's pride. It's us looking down on them, getting on our high horse and, and thinking that we are better than them. And pride will divide us. When the pressure comes, pride will make us crumble. Humility is what is going to keep us together. And so it's humility that we need. Now, here's the second reason we need humility when persecution and suffering comes. First, it keeps us together. Secondly, humility keeps us aware of the danger. If you skip down to verse 8, Peter asks us, for the third time in this letter, to be alert and of sober mind. And he wants us to see something. He wants us to see that the people who persecute Christians, they're not our enemy. The people who drag our name through the mud are not our enemy. Robin Bristow from the Noosa Temple of Satan, he's not our enemy. The media is not our enemy. Daniel Andrews in Victoria, he's not our enemy. Because... Our enemy is God's enemy. The one who lies behind the persecution and suffering of Christians is the devil. And Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I'm going to assume that with the exception of perhaps the South Africans in the room, most of your experience of lions is like mine at a zoo, where they're basically tame, and they're behind like six fences, and you feel very safe. You know what? Sometimes that's how we view Satan. We treat him like he's harmless, like he's this tamed creature, he's toothless, or we kind of just pretend he's not even there, that he's not real. But you see what Peter says here? He wants us to make no mistake, we are in lion territory... We're in the Roman arena with a lion that's been deprived of food. He is prowling around looking for someone to devour. He's bloodthirsty. He's determined. He's looking for a Christian who's showing signs of weakness. The Christian who's arrogant enough to think that following Jesus is easy. The Christian who's foolish enough to think that they don't need the help of their brothers and sisters. He's looking for the Christian who's tempted by the things that this world has to offer. And loved ones, you need the humility to recognise the danger that you are in. When you chose to follow Jesus, you chose to make yourself a very powerful enemy. And he is trying to deceive you. That's how Satan operates. That's how he's always operated, by deception, by lies. He's the father of lies. He wants you to believe that God is not good. He wants you to believe that your sin isn't a problem. Or the opposite, he wants you to believe that your sin is too much of a problem, that God couldn't possibly forgive you. He's trying to deceive you. And his lies are convincing. You've experienced them, whether you realised it or not. Those moments where you were doubting God's goodness. Where you were doubting whether you truly belong to him. Humility will keep us aware of the danger of the devil's lies. We need the humility to recognise that he is powerful and that we are in lion territory. But, Humility will also help us overcome the devil's lies. Because when suffering comes, humility keeps us together as a church so that we can support and encourage one another. And humility keeps us aware of the danger from the devil and his lies. But if we're to have any hope of resisting the devil, as Peter tells us to do in verse 9, if we're to have any hope of standing firm in our faith, if we're to have any hope of persevering through persecution, then it's humility that will keep us trusting the one who can transform our humility to glory. I don't know how you feel about the prospect of persecution in your life. I expect that for many of you, it's kind of a theoretical, probably not going to happen sort of feeling. You go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fully aware that in some parts of the world, Christians suffer for following Jesus, but you don't actually expect it to happen to you here in Australia. What happens when it does? Now, it may, I don't know what the future holds. I, I expect that it's going to get tougher, but imagine it does get significantly harder. Imagine there is the risk of you losing your job for professing faith in Christ. Imagine there is the risk of facing danger to your safety and to your life. How do you feel about that? If it scares you, if it makes you anxious, if it makes you worried, I'd say that's exactly how you should feel. We should be scared. We should be nervous about this. I was watching the the interview on Sunrise with the pastor of City on a Hill Church in Melbourne and I got nervous watching it. I don't want to be on the other side of the camera getting grilled by Koshy. And he's a friendly journalist. Uh, That makes me nervous. I expect we will be scared. We should be scared about the prospect of suffering. Because the very worst thing that we can be is is self-confident. We don't need bravado What we need is the humility to recognise that actually we can't do this on our own. We we won't endure on our own. It's only when we recognise that we need someone else that will be able to endure persecution. Which is why Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you friends if you want a memory verse that's your memory verse today cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you and he cares so much for you you're not strong enough you're not courageous enough i'm not courageous enough but he is And he is the one who has overcome Satan. He is the one who has made a way for us to be spared death and to find life. He is the one who in verse 10 Peter calls the God of all grace. The one who by grace called you to belong to him. The one who by grace forgave you your sins through Jesus' death in your place. He is the one who by grace guarantees you an eternal, eternal inheritance. That will never perish, never spoil, never fade. And he is the one who, by grace, will transform your humility to glory. Because suffering and persecution they will not last. Our victory is assured. Satan has been defeated, and after we have suffered a little while, verse 10, God himself will restore us. Do you, do you see, there's no kind of ifs or buts there. God will restore us. God himself will make us strong and firm and steadfast. Not us. We won't do it ourselves. He will do it. So what do we do? We humble ourselves before him. We do what we've been doing from the very beginning. We admit to God that we can't do this ourselves. That we can't get rid of our own sin ourselves. We can't continue in faith ourselves. It is only by him and his spirit that enables us to persevere. And so we acknowledge our need of him. We say, God, you do this for us. And we keep trusting that he will. Because he is the only one who will bring us into eternal glory. He's promised it to us, friends. So let's humble ourselves before him. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we are daunted by the prospect of suffering. Or that, or we just dare not think about it. But Father, we expect that it will come. We know Jesus promised that we would suffer that we live in a world that hated him and so it will hate us also. Lord, we are sometimes fearful of that. We're fearful of how we might react when the pressure builds. Lord, I pray that you would give us humility to recognize our weakness. Give us humility with one another so that we may stick together and that we may encourage one another as we suffer for your sake. Give us humility to recognize the danger of Satan, whose power is real and present, even in this world today. And Lord, give us humility to know that you are our only hope. And so we cling to you. We're so grateful, Lord, that you promise us your care, that you guarantee our victory. And Lord, we ask that you would keep us clinging to you, for every moment of the rest of our lives and we pray this for your glory a glory that we will one day
0: share in in jesus name amen